Assassin's Creed dev comments on the Japanese industry. Uh, that's I just, just want to that's just the same talk as about this, too. Yeah. except I actually want to quote his thing. What did he say? Uh, you want to know the real answer? I think there's a subtle racism in the business, especially on the journalist side where Japanese developers are forgiving huh. for doing what they do. I think it's condescending to do this. Well, I just want to let point. that He does have a point because a lot of game developers, they tend to give Japanese games a pass because... Talking oh, about reviewers. Yeah, I know. I know that's what I'm saying. Like, and no, we don't. We cut You them. don't, but other people do. They're, they're like, oh, it's a Japanese game. This is how Japanese games are. You have to understand that the Tales games have always had these mechanics, even though they're crappy as hell. You know, they've always had these mechanics. This is what makes a Tales game a Tales game. And this is why Final Fantasy is the way it is. You can't question it. It's, it's Japanese game development, bro. That's what he's talking about, and it's true. I see a lot of Japanese games that get a free pass, like Bayonetta has a lot of mechanical problems. I'm not talking about the theme. theme don't, you can, you, don't you, you can dare slag off my beloved Bayonetta in this podcast. I don't don't, don't even go there. That was for the niche combos that that game could do. It's, it's just a, you take a game like, oh, uh, what was that Suda51 game that was about a dude who has to fight the devil to get his girlfriend back. What was it? Oh, uh, Shadows of the Dam. Shadows of the Dam, yeah. I played that. It's an okay game. I like the themes. I like the story. It's a good story. Good, great music. But the mechanics are terrible. It's like a shitty God of War. And when I read reviews, nobody ever talks about how shitty the combat is. Nobody aren't, talks aren't about how frustrating it is to play. Aren't all of those games like mechanically deficient in some way, though? Like everything from, like, was it Lollipop Chainsaw, No More yeah, Heroes, yeah, everyone's Killer said, 7, and they're all like that? Well, Killer 7 actually doesn't really have anything else to base it off of, so yeah. that, that's kind of its own thing. But no, Lollipop Chainsaw, it says, like, most of the reviews said, I wish this had more interesting combat mechanics to go with the interesting visuals and story. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. But yeah, but you take that, the game still gets like an 85 or something, but you take Assassin's Creed 3, which That's has amazing cool. combat mechanics, and people slag it off. They slag it off because of other stuff. You know, That's it's true. like, if you would have taken this... Into a fight. I also like to note to our listeners that, yeah. that he said this about three months before Assassin's Creed came out, so this is probably him hedging his bets ahead of time. <laughs> But yeah, I mean... Moving on! Yeah, moving because on. I really don't want to give yeah. him any more case. I just wanted to highlight... Yeah. And let, okay, okay, let, just go move on, don't explain yourself. I'm over. Uh, quote, Fuck that loser from Diablo 3's lead producer to co-creator of Diablo 1 and 2. Yeah. Pretty I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I remember. Uh, guy, guy uh, no, he, actually he actually said that. He said it on a private Facebook page and someone took a picture of it. I don't think we really need to talk about that. That is very... Like, I refuse to cover the story on Game Ranks. I think one of my other writers did, but I didn't cover it because I thought it was a non-story. See, this one I don't think is a controversy, but it's just an interesting thing that happened. So that's why I put it in here. Other people thought it was a controversy. I didn't see a problem with it. Yeah, I don't understand why people thought it was a controversy. Because, see, what what would happen was... The, David Brevik, uh, he is the original creator of Diablo 1 and 2. He he made some comments, oh, basically, like, it wasn't mean-spirited, but he was basically slagging off the developers of Diablo 3. No, it was one of the most measured things, that, and event, he ended with, they did things that I wouldn't have done okay for them. They did well for themselves. He, he was like the most measured thing he could have possibly said. Sure, sure. Get fuck that loser in response. It was because, uh, I think the fuck that loser wasn't even directed to him. I think it was directed to the, the Ink Gamers reviewer. No, I read 
Was I read it? the whole. I read the whole thread. It was directed at him. Huh. Well, I guess he was pretty hurt. He didn't even read the article himself, probably. You know. No. Like I, I do that sometimes. I'm like, fuck that loser. Oh my god! I do that too. Why do we care? I'm exactly. Why do we care? Move on. I say fuck that loser. Seriously, this is like. Are we surprised? Are we at all surprised that developers are acting like prima donnas? No, because it's online. All right, let's move on. I had actually moved on, but. Ian mis- took my description of the next thing. Ian is but also a prima donna. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> the Polygon documentary was a controversy. I just thought it was a neat thing I they did. I don't know. People thought it was a controversy. Okay. I put it in because I thought it was a neat thing they Interesting did. Interesting factoid. The guy who's directing that is someone I went to film school with. Oh. Awesome. So, so he's he's not not a a your grip. You could you could do you could do a picture around your playground next. <laughs> Well, he's Honestly, now, so I'll ask him the next time he's over for a reunion. But you can just uh, put this with Polygon launched, and that was a good thing, and we've said that already. So we'll move on to the next one. Well, I was just going to say that I know there seems to be this thing where every time Polygon do something, that British game journals get annoyed about it. So just to kind of frame that for anybody in America. I no, think really? I think the problem isn't that Polygon are doing things, and certainly I don't have a problem with the site or any of the writers or the fact that they do things. In fact, I think their features are all pretty good, really. I think the thing is that with the documentary and the tours around journalists' houses, it's one of these British things where British people don't like to be seen to be proud of themselves because it, it, it's seen as, like, boastful. It's one of these weird social things. Like, if you ever go to Britain, everybody constantly apologizes. Every time you bump in, if you bump into somebody, they will apologize to you that you bumped into them. So it's not so much people being proud in their work, it's people being proud of themselves. And I think that can be seen as somewhat arrogant in the UK. Now, I'm going to do a Rab Florence here. I'm not saying that's what I think. I'm just saying it could be construed as that. <laughs> I don't know if that's completely culture-bound to the UK, because honestly, I look at something like, yeah, let's have a tour around my awesome pad with all this money that I make, and it's just like, yeah. dude, I know you weren't going to hire me anyway, but now I really don't want to work with you, ever. If anybody wants to tour around my pad, it'll take about 15 seconds with a webcam, and that's only because <laughs> I'll probably drop the laptop halfway around panning through it. If you wanted to take a tour around my pad, you couldn't. It's extremely douchey, is what it is. There's no self-awareness. There's no humility there. It's like, hey, look at me. I'm self-important. And before Polygon, you know, there was no other gaming website that was really worth visiting. We are video game journalism. We are. That is the thing that's, like, really, I think, rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. It isn't that Polygon exists. It isn't that they do a pretty dang good job with most of their articles. It's that they have set themselves apart as being kind of like God's gift to journalism. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you set yourself up basically to go nowhere but down. Yep. Because any, any little hint of, you know, the possibility of you doing something that would be considered the sort of thing that you're criticizing, everyone is just going to launch themselves on that like a pack of wolves, which they've already done a few times. Yeah, but oh, yeah. Like, all they have to do is write an article about Pizza Hut, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you guys are shitty. Ah, but what they but what they did was they said they wouldn't republish any press releases as part of their sort of statement of ethics and manifesto, and then they it's published funny, a press release. And everybody yeah. said, hey, you published a press release. And then what they did was, rather than deleting that article, they changed their own statement of ethics and removed <laughs> that link. <laughs> that is one way of getting around the problem, but I don't think everybody would think it was the best way of getting yeah. around it. It's it's a nice, way. The, the thing is, a Penny Arcade Report actually does hold to that, not reporting press releases. They also yeah. publish a lot less than Polygon, which is the only way around it, because 
press releases are the main source of information. You can't get around that. Yep. Yeah. But I, I, in general, I don't. It's just another them. gaming site. It's better <laughs> than this, you know, most. But they're not. I would. Here's a funny thing. It's like I wouldn't put them above RPS or Eurogamer, or 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 Gamma Sutra. Like I mean, what makes it Gamma better? Sutra is a different thing. Uh, it is a different thing. Yeah, but I mean, like you, you get what I mean, right? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah it's like, they're it's not better so than others. Yeah. The, the, the problem is that they're saying that they're better, or at least yeah, they're giving you the expectation that it's going to be better. Like a, Yep. Well, that's why I never say I am. I just say I aspire to. It is like back in the 90s. I, I don't know if any of you guys were at gaming magazines, but they all had one feature that was meet the PC gaming gods or meet the gods of gaming. And then they would put like 10 game developers on there. And like, you know, maybe only two of them are still around. Yeah, well, that's like, that's the 90s over hype machine. That's yeah, it's like, you know, it was, you'd have, like, John Romero on the cover of the magazine, meet the next PC gaming god. Well, that, they got that one right. <laughs> they got that one. John Romero's going to okay. make you his bitch, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't him. It wasn't him. That man. wasn't actually him. He actually asked the guy who did it, what the hell are you doing? I would never say that. Yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> not sure that's a funny thing. Like, he's, a, he's a very humble guy. Yeah. If, you, if you've ever spoken to him, he's a very humble guy. And all that I aspire to make you my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he actually said what it should have been. There was a good interview with uh, Matt Barton he did a few years ago gotcha, on yeah. YouTube. It's like a six-part interview. It's a damn great listen to him going over his entire career. And he said, I should have never given that guy free reign. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> he, yeah. he admits, yeah, I never would have said that. I should have never gone forward with it. I didn't see the copy before it was published. And I was astonished what it was. It was like, who thought this was a good idea? I didn't approve it. But what I meant, what I meant to say at the yeah. time was, if it's all right with you, I'd like to make him a bitch. <laughs> oh, and, and the thing is, he was very much, and the main sticking point was the bitch word, the use of that word. Yeah, he, he was, was he's not. Main. Yeah, he's not he's a, a misogynist at all. He's very much a feminist. But uh, moving on, okay, on the list. Now we did that. We did that. Yeah. I'll save that for next time. Okay, does anyone actually remember Kixai Facebook startup? No. Uh, nope, we're moving on, because they're racists, they're assholes, and no one remembers them. A favela's Call of Duty multiplayer map taken down for texture edit because some guy thought using the name Allah would be better than, I don't know, the, the brown fox jumped over the lazy dog in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Seriously, choose a standard phrase that's like testing out a, a keyboard and run with that. Do not copy-paste from religious sites. Very bad idea. And they actually removed it, they, and they put the map back in, and it's yeah. a different frame now. So, Okay, here's the thing. People might be saying, oh, why are we catering to all these Muslims? They like to complain a lot. Turns out that a lot of Muslims... Yeah, I know there are. Look at N4G. They're like, why are you pandering to them? I'm like, dude, it's simple knowledge. You wouldn't put fuck Jesus in there, would you? No, you These wouldn't. are the same people who were angry at pissed Christ. Yeah, exactly. So show some respect or, you know, at least just have some sense not to do that. There are a lot of Arabs and Muslims who play Call of Duty. I play with them, you know. They, they play the game as much as anybody else. Even if there was not a single Arab or Muslim that played Call of Duty, just the inclusion of something like that and yep. the fact that someone else out there is just like, why are you catering to these people? It's just like, fuck you, asshole. You know, that is like the definition of speaking from a position of privilege. It's just like... 
You know, it's, it's like the freaking South Park guys, like, doing another, like, entire two episodes with Muhammad in it. The only reason you're getting away with that is because you are a, a white, rich dude who has a certain amount of immunity from this sort of thing. It's just like, you can offend who you want. It's yep. just like, that's not the right mentality to take at all. This, is, this should be an industry of inclusion. All industries should be an industry of inclusion. Yeah. Yeah, at least look at the firearms industry. They're an industry of inclusion. You can blow everybody's <laughs> head off. <laughs> and they'll sell to anybody too. Uh, which uh, which yeah. brings us back to Oliver North. Moving on. God, I shouldn't say that. Oh, cause. Okay, I actually like want to talk about this one. Lucy Kellaway's article at the Financial Times on the Game City Award. Oh, tell me to take this one. Go ahead. Yeah, go yes. Okay, Lucy Kellaway. Sta- hold on. One thing. New statement is a British publication, right? Yes. Thank you. Okay, so, before I was so rudely interrupted, so uh, Lucy Calloway is a columnist at the Financial Times, and she was asked to be a judge on this panel at Game Sitting in Game City in Nottingham, and so they gave her and uh, lots of other judges a big pile of games, and she had to decide what the best ones were, and so she wrote this column for the Financial Times saying, hey, these games are all about crap, aren't they? Um, I actually wrote the response to this for the New Statesman, which is a lot more eloquently put than the monologue I'm currently delivering. But I basically said that I didn't have a problem with anything she said because I thought it was all pretty valid. The problem was that she sort of said, oh, I can't even remember it now. It was so long ago. It was two months ago. Let me, let me go through and do a vanity lick in my own article. Yeah, she said things like that. As was pretty picture of a nice music, but not much else. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't much substance. I, I did this kind of satire thing where I compared it to somebody doing a book review uh, and being as, as ignorant as that. I thought it was funny. I don't think a lot of people realize what I was doing, but I tried my best. And for our listeners, the Game City specifically is looking for people who don't play video games. Yeah. That is its purpose. What they would think is the best. That's yeah. the whole yeah. idea behind but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a non-gamer's opinion. In fact, it's quite interesting to have an outsider one. You know, they said the best game was Journey, and that's the kind of experience I've had, that Journey was a great game to play with people who it hadn't played amazing. games before. And, yeah. and quite honestly, if anyone gave Journey Game of the Year, who would argue? Yeah. Like, yes, they had, like, miniature... I'd ra- I prefer this one to this, but if you said, I can accept that answer, that's, like, one you just say, I can accept that. What really rubbed me the wrong way was... A, wasn't what she said about the games. It was a lot of her attitudes towards it. Like, well, this is it. Know, yeah, the, it was the... Like her own colleague. Oh, a girl who actually plays games. Yeah, thank you for throwing gasoline on the fire. I think yeah, that, that, was yeah. the, that was the problem, was it was the way she chose to examine games, which I thought was quite bad-spirited. It was yeah. kind of like if I went along to, say, a ballet or something, or, I don't know, something I didn't have much knowledge of, I was like, oh, this is a load of shit, isn't it? And, of course, it's going to seem shit if you go in expecting it to be shit. It's your expectation that's framing that response to the medium. You can't go into a game being all, you know, Captain Grumpy and expecting it to be something it's not. You have to at least, if you're going on to a panel like that and you're a non-gamer, fair enough, but you have to at least appreciate something about it, you know, that it is something that means a lot of, to a lot of people. Yeah, and if you, you have put, like, though, years of their lives into developing these things. Programming. A lot of people spend an awful lot of their time developing Call of Duty, and I don't think that that elevates the medium in many ways. But, no, I think that... It deserves to be shot down on its own merits, not just because video game. Yeah, and I thought that Callaway's thing was a totally valid perspective, and I really like that a lot of people, after the initial outcry, like, legitimately, like, rose to her defense. It was just like, no, we need outsider perspectives. Sure. But the thing that rubbed me wrong about her article was just like, well, it doesn't have as much depth as this book, now does it? And it's, it's just out like... Of line. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying... That why would you expect something of one yeah. medium to do the same thing as that of another medium? That's not right, how. Yeah. And if you're going to think of artistic depth, 
you have to be able to read the grammar of the medium you're working yeah, in. It's like, oh, this book sucks because it's not narrated by Patrick Stewart. <laughs> this book sucks because <laughs> this book that's sucks because Nolan North doesn't right do in the voiceovers. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't have had a book on tape narrated by Nolan North. I would but, let's um, get him on that. Actually, you know what? You should do it in the voice of the base core. But uh, another thing, on, just on general... Base! Alright, out. Okay, on the Game City Award? Yeah. Who thought Mass Effect 3 was a good idea to put on the list? For non-gamers? Considering I wear, Mass Effect uh-huh. 1 or 2. They did have that story mode, but that didn't really do anything. It didn't, no. Mass Effect 3? Imagine, like... <laughs> For a person who's never held a controller, Can't it's give the it end of a trilogy and requires knowledge of who these characters are. It requires are. knowledge of games. That's a problem yeah. with Mass Effect. It's, yeah. it's a game for gamers. It's not something that anybody can pick up. Like Anybody can pick up Call of Duty or even Max Payne. Anybody, a non-gamer can pick it up. Uh, yeah. it, that requires... It, the two analog sticks is still a virus. Like, Journey, you can get that... Proteus, that was a brilliant choice. Even, and if it was eligible for the city's award because of its release date, Walking Dead, that is easy, you can easily understand that. Just based on its control sequence. Mass Effect, it's like Handy Bayonetta. How? Can you imagine if, like, they did a, a thing in the UK called Film City, where they got people who didn't watch films? <laughs> so Lucy Keller writes her columns, and, like, um, it was all very nicely done, but why is this guy dressed as a bat? <laughs> oh. That, the thing is, that isn't even, like, the worst of it. If you like the most complex games, it was like, what's Koyan S. Kotsky? And what's going on? Why are there no people? Why Why is it suddenly... Ch- what, wait, what? Why is it cut... Ah! ah! <laughs> I, I would love no, to did see... You, um, did you see... I mean, this is actually somewhat later when the Jonathan Jones thing happened, but Sophie Holden did a really nice kind of, like, reversal of it. It's just like... Can art be games? Where she has a hypothetical situation where she buys a print of art, quote unquote, and puts it in her living room, and she invites her friend Emily over. It's just like, well, how do I make it go? And she's like, no, you just, you just, you just look at it. It's just like, you mean I can't explore it? I can't look at it from different angles? I don't understand this. How do you change the difficulty in this art? <laughs> yeah. How do I interact with art? You can't. You can't. It just sits. And to bring this up, because the New Statesman came back into our public consciousness about a month later with, why are we so bad at talking about video games? And I will just say this, just to get this out of here, because I think no matter what you think of Helen Lewis's article or the general response to it, I think she's been a class act in how she's responded to it. You know, handing her column over it to person after person saying, well, here's my argument to you. And here is my corrective for you. I mean, she has been absolutely, completely diplomatic throughout this entire thing. And that's kind of a rarity, so I think we should applaud her for that. Well, it's kind of like, well, where's all the special stuff? It's right here. Ooh, special stuff. Yep. As, I, as I recall, she said, yeah, now I'm checking out all these things that were, that were pointed out to me. Good. Yep. I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because... I was at the pub at the New Statesman drinks last week, so uh, <laughs> so I'm slightly biased because they, they bought me alcohol. But I think one of the good things about it's actually the only place that's paid me this year, apart from my own endeavors. Not that I want to get into that, but it's one of the only places that's paid me, and they are quite good in that if something gets posted there, that there is a kind of right to reply. That's one of the nice, refreshing things about that, where certainly something like Financial Times, that piece in The Guardian, you know, you're not going to get a piece in there. One of The Guardian columnists is going to get a piece in there, and there is that kind of 
I guess, that traditional structure of who's writing for it. So the New Statesman is quite nice in that sense that they will welcome extra articles and reply articles, and yeah, that's, that's quite a good thing. So, yeah, if you've got something to say, pitch it. I'm actually glad that uh, when, uh, Brendan managed to... He wrote the article that I am not capable of writing, despite my uh, years doing this. He's a prodigy. He just, okay, well, here, uh, Bit Creature, ter- Critical Distance, Gamasutra, Nightmare Mode, Unwinnable, and about five other places I'm forgetting at the moment. And not even just and a, bunch of, a bunch of articles, too. Yeah. yeah. It's just I know, like, you, says, you just did our work know. for us, thanks. And that is a massive audience that we would have never reached otherwise. And even if they don't check it out, FYI, this exists. You know, I'm pretty sure we did get a bump in traffic from that. So, thank you, Brendan. <laughs> Just saying. And speaking of Brendan and Alan, you're in this because I'm lumping them together. Yay! Because the they were released the same week. Brendan Keogh's book on Spec Ops line killing is harmless, and Alan Williamson's and his new magazine, 5 out of 10. Right, well, first Which of all, I'm it's not, also it's not, in, so yeah, I'll have to explain. It's not just my magazine. There are five people in it, and they all work very hard, including Brendan yep. and, right. and Chris. But uh, I, yeah, okay, I cracked the whip, but it's, it's very much a team effort. It was uh, a very uh, mild manner of whip cracking. I know, Alan, you, you do things quite differently, but someone still has to run it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of yours. I mean, do you want a, a small 5 out of 10 mission statement and blurb since I have the floor? Well, I'm just going to set it up. This new statements article came out came out the same day as Brendan published his book, and in 167 plus pages criticism on a single game. And then, like two days later, you release your magazine. I mean, I whenever we were sorting out the launch date for five out of ten, I was aware Brendan's book was coming out, and he did actually hold it back by a week. The the sad story was five out of ten was meant to launch on the tenth of November because that would have been the tenth or the eleventh or the twelfth. And I thought that was cool because this is the way I work. And I actually got <laughs> I actually got delayed to the twenty fourth of November, so that's that's why Killing Us Harmless came out so close to it. The timing of it, it was it's like one of those real life ironies you couldn't plan better in a story. Well, it's like why does the good video game criticism this book it's was right over here. Yeah, it's like it's like here it is, <laughs> slap a good website. That was me slapping a copy of a digital magazine down a desk like say, slapping an iPad. It's down. a good thing you clarified. Because yeah, otherwise I would have flipped out a bit. I haven't well, that was me punching somebody in the face with a copy of a magazine. <laughs> that's 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 no yeah, way to get a reader. That's how they work over there. <laughs> yeah, read all about it. Bang. I mean, I guess it's one of these things where I don't know how many times we've heard over the years that games journalism is broken, yada, yada, yada. And sometimes when something's broken, you know, you... you, you yeah, sometimes when it's broken, you try and fix it. And sometimes whenever something's broken, you go, okay, well, let's try and do something totally different. And so with 5 out of 10, I don't see it as being in any way a replacement for traditional journalism. It's very much a complementary thing. It's like saying there's there's so many magazines and websites out there that do news and features and interviews and reviews, and I wasn't really interested in doing any of those things. I mean, the main goals for me were, one, to say, hey, here's games criticism. It's cool. You know, people can do it. It's something that's worth writing. It's something that's worth reading. But also that it's something worth paying for. And so it's great that there's been these places like Unwinnable's really come to the fore this year. You've had that Creature's brand new as well. Nightmare Mode's had a relaunch. And all these sites are really good at doing what they do. But I think it's also, at the same time that it's important to have criticism, it's also important to show people that this criticism costs money and that authors need to eat. So the thing with 5 out of 10 is you know that if you pay £5, 
basically everybody gets a pound from the sale of that. And I quite like that. I like that. It's this egalitarian thing, and I'm not sitting in a big sack of money. You know, I don't go for a Scrooge McDuck swim at the end of the day. I, I get as sure much as anybody do. else does. Well, I get the it's feeling just I you're only able to do that because your apartment is so small. That's true. It's a Scrooge McDuck swim, but I've only got two pound coins rattling around in a shot glass. It's not a very, it's not a very <laughs> satisfying swim. But no, it's been yeah. it's been good. I think we've sold we've sold nearly a hundred copies now, so I'm pleased with that. Better than anything bigger than zero was always going to be a shock for me. So <laughs> I was glad it did as well as it did. I think you might be getting some new sales in the future. Well, let's hope so. Because if you, if you don't buy it, I'll not be able to eat for a while. So uh, if you want me, well, if you want me here in 2013, I'd appreciate you buying. What is it? Quarterly? Yeah, it's going to be bi-monthly. So yeah, I had a discussion with a girlfriend as to how many I could put out in a year without her dumping me, and uh, bi-monthly, <laughs> seem, bi-monthly seems reasonable to get my life back. So yeah, the idea is going to be that I basically, I do a lot of the design myself, and Craig from Spitzgreen also helps with the design front, so the idea is that people will write in month one, and then I'll design it in month two, release it, and then I'll go back and do it all again, and I'll keep doing that until I lose my mind, uh, and then we'll move to a less frequent schedule. Right or become successful enough that you can hire someone to do one part of it. Yeah, and until it becomes so successful that I quit my day job. <laughs> and all uh, of us have, except Ian, I guess. Honest, he's already there. I know. No, I'm right. not. I'm not there yet. What? No, I'm not there yet. No. I thought that was your job. Okay. Uh, well, oh, oh, you talking about jobs? Sorry, yeah. I zoned out. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> You were just zoning out thinking about that 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 Scrooge McDuck swim that you're having after this. I went to the marketing pitch, didn't they? Everybody's gone to sleep. Oh yeah, and Brendan Kaog, just read it, buy it. It's like it's five dollars. Ebook, it's good. He sold a thousand copies. And and there's a buy his book. It's it's five dollars now because the month's up because the month of uh, cheap uh, the lower price is up. But you want to pay more than that anyway. Yeah, yeah. If you can afford it, be fair to people. It's an amazing book. Yeah, PDF, EPUB. Uh, I think you get some wallpapers as well now, and they've got an Amazon. What is it called? A compatible copy. A Kindle, Kindle? copy. Thank you. Uh, yeah, but it's not called a Kindle. A Mobi. That's it. Yeah, you can also get, and, you can also get five for the ten a Mobi. Hey, it's not coming out in the Kindle store though, because Amazon take a huge cut of the revenue. So. uh if you want to buy Brennan's book, buy it directly from him. Don't buy it through a subsidiary. Last of the frivolous controversies, I guess, is one way to put it. Oh, wait, no way. I skipped something. A lot. Oh, no, wait. There's two. Okay. I'm going to do this last frivolous one because from here on out, it becomes very not frivolous. The Bioshock Infinite cover, which happened in the setup of the uh, podcast, I could care less. But. So the short version is... Ken Levine was asked why the cover of Bioshock Infinite is so unoriginal, and Levine said, because frat boys. And, well, he said because the marketing team decided frat boys. Right. And you know what? I couldn't, I really don't care. I really don't care. I mean, I really, I like that, I like that The Last of Us fought to keep a female character on the cover. That's great. And I think that we should have more female characters on covers. But if you find that you just need to take advantage of what is already a cynical market and you don't have it in your power to overhaul that entire market, by all means, just use it. Just and, use and, the assets and, that are available to you. And the thing is, to be fair in the marketing, the, the thing they've proven is that the, a face, the playable character on the cover, will improve its sales. But what they haven't been able to prove is that having a female main character will 
just through sales because no one's ever given it the same equal right. treatment. They basically just dumped it with absolutely no marketing. Although this price. is something interesting. Like immediately after Mass Effect 3 was released, you heard about a bunch of people who were going into like GameStops and stuff like that and deliberately switching the cover around so that the Femstep cover was the one on display. And I always kind of wondered whether that had any influence on who went and picked up a copy. I imagine not, but... That's actually you something... You'd have to look at the security right. phase because the numbers would be too right. infinitesimal. It's just like, I'm thinking, that. wouldn't that be an interesting experiment if, like, you know, when do Catherine... It in mar- do it in different markets. Right. When Catherine, like, came out, it's just like, and it had just two different covers, like, one for PS3 and one for 360. And, of course, they were both hypersexualized women, but still, it's just like... Imagine, like, putting out a game where it's one person on a cover on this one and one person on another cover, and then compare your sales and adjusting for the fact that, you know, not everyone is going to be buying for said and said console. It seems like that wouldn't be too difficult. Get on that game industry. You'd have to get someone willing to actually do that experiment. And you do it for, like, Simple Mart. Everyone you ship to this air, to this small area, you wouldn't Blizzard do it in New York. It. LA. Blizzard did it. Really? Yeah, with uh, Warcraft 3. How'd that work? I don't know. Warcraft 3, that's like a million years ago. I don't know what the stats are, but they had three covers. One was the orc, one was the human, and one was the night elf. Night elf was a hot chick. That's pandering to the same demographic, though. Yeah. Mm. Non-sexualized women is what we're after. Yeah. Like, so... That was a joke. Uh, That was a joke. uh, uh, Oh, oh, oh. I'm not after sexualized anything, so there. Like the Mirror's Edge cover. That was a, yeah. I mean, I don't see, I mean, there were a lot of reasons that that game did not overwhelm us that had absolutely nothing to do with the character. Was I, I saw a lot of commercial for it in my area, but apparently overall it wasn't the big push. The same with Beyond Good and Evil, there was no big push for it. Oh, they let that to die. They had no, there was zero advertising for it. Like, it was part of the... Their marketing team's experiments where they would try to advertise the game using a demo only. Hmm. That didn't go so well. Because that's, how you, make, that's yeah. how you make money and build a big franchise. You do a social fucking experiment with it. <laughs> the fuck? No, do that with Call of Duty. Do the, do the social experiment with Call of Duty. I don't think anybody's going to do that because they know it's going to fail if they do that. It will really? fail. Yeah. The majority of people who buy Call of Duty are not people who read IGN. They're not people who... Pay attention to what video games come out. It's people who go to the Super Bowl and watch the Super Bowl and they see a big Call of Duty ad, and that's what makes them buy the game. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. See, it out. Go and pick it up off the shelf. Whenever I was at Eurogamer Expo in September, um, the biggest queues by a long way were for Call of Duty Black Ops Two, mm-hmm. compared to anything else. And that was people who were, you know, alleged gamers. Yeah. It was good though because it meant that it was more time for me to play Hotline Miami all afternoon. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that special expo right. level made up and everything it was great fun that's nice alright now we get to stop laughing why? humor I'm, is good for everything even bad uh, Matt Hughes suicide over depression oh. and the take this project okay that's not worth laughing about do you know that he actually pitched an article to me? I was actually going to let you because I didn't know the guy yeah I, well I didn't know the guy either you know, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those guys who's like Oh, I knew him. He was a great... No, I'm not going to be that guy. No, I didn't know him, like, much at all. We interacted a few times on Twitter. He seemed okay. But, you know, it's like... My interactions with him were very limited. As limited as they would be to somebody I tweeted maybe, like, five times. And he pitched an article to me about a retrospective about some game. Uh, I didn't go with it, but 
it sucks that that Matt Hughes, while he was alive, um, nobody really paid attention to him. You know, like he wasn't name anybody would know. Like I'm sure he pitched everywhere, and like he was just another writer. And you know, he he basically suffered in silence. And now that he's gone, everybody is like, "Oh, I knew Matt Hughes. Uh, I miss well, him." I mean, you're making it sound as though you know, there was, like, some sort of direct correlation between his depression and his success as a writer. And let's not make that mistake, because no. it's perfectly yeah. possible, you know, for him to have had the support network that he needed to make it out in life without, you know, necessarily being successful and the big name in town when it comes to something as kind of pittance as game journalism. And as much as we all love this field, I mean... It's not the be-all and end-all of anyone's existence, and if it is, I would encourage you to re-examine your priorities a bit. And in the case of someone like Matt Hughes, it's just like, I mean, I've dealt with suicidality. When the news of his suicide broke, I was completely devastated. I mean, I didn't know him, and I'm not going to eulogize about a person that I don't know. But at the same time, it's just like, I have been there. I have been in a position where, you know, the success or failure of an article I wrote would mean whether I was going to be contemplating suicide that night. And it gets to the point where if you're seeking validation from an industry, you're totally barking up the wrong tree. And I don't want this to turn into a situation of we have to validate these people within the industry. No, we need to advocate for better, better mental health services. We need to stop being silent about the idea of mental health issues. And that's why I think what has come out of this project, which is, I'm sorry, what has come out of this incident is the Take This project. And that is by far one of the most interesting things that I think has come out of this year in video game journalism, just between journos, is the idea of coming together to have a project that is supposed to serve as a support network for people who are writers who are dealing with depression and anxiety. There'll be a link in the show notes. That's powerful to me. That's it's powerful. Over- yeah. It's overwhelming to me that yeah, we- so many people in the wake of Matt Hughes' death came forward and just said, you know, I have dealt with this, and I also didn't feel comfortable seeking help for this. And that is so common, and it's a stigma that we need to work past. In as much as I don't believe that a lot of the people who are now trying to talk about mental illness with relation to the Newtown shooting, it's just like that too is like kind of becoming sort of like a co-opting of these issues. And I don't want to do that here either, but it's just like it's the same sort of conversation that we need to have not just on an industry-wide level, but kind of a national level, an international level really. It's just like, right, how much attention is being paid to something like the state of mental health. And making it not just more available to people who are suffering from this, but also to reduce the stigma associated. That's the thing. I was very lucky when I was having a very poor time emotionally that I had health insurance where I could go and get help. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't have that option. And a lot of people, when they do have that option, do not make the leap to taking care of it in that way. And I am so happy that... Matt Hughes' legacy will not be forgotten just like a few days after it happened, as seems to happen with almost everything that happens in video game journalism and news and controversy and all of that. I'm happy that there has been some lasting impact from this. Me too. You know, it's it's a tragedy, but it prevents it. W- it may prevent future tragedies from happening. Like I personally, I am diagnosed with major depressive disorder. That means if I'm not on medication, I feel like killing myself. Fun. Not really fun, but 
it, it took me so long to, you know, to get a medication to get to get treatment because, you know, of the stigma. Like, it was, you know, going to a psychiatrist is just not something that you do. It's something that people might make fun of you of or be like, oh, you, why are you visiting a shrink? Are you not strong enough to deal with it yourself? And the fact of the matter is that, you know, if it wasn't for the ability that my dog is barking right now, it's so annoying, why is he howling? No, okay, what I was saying was that, you know, if... If it wasn't for the for maybe the internet and for resources that you know guided me into understanding what it is that I was going through, it wasn't that you know that my life sucks and that I feel bad about myself. It's nothing like that at all. It, it's a chemical depression. It's just how your brain works. And if I didn't have the knowledge of this, I would have stuck to the idea that that one can be strong enough to overcome this issue by oneself. And if if I'm not strong enough, then obviously I'm a weak, pathetic human being. You know, that's that's the idea that a lot of people seem to have is that because they are led on to believe that they can conquer the depression by themselves, by having friends or by exercising or whatever, by thinking good things that they can deal with it. But fact is that it's some things just aren't physically possible. Having certain disabilities, yes, it is a disability. It's no different than say breaking an arm or breaking a leg or something. You can't cause your leg to heal just by walking it off. Walk it off. Walk off. No, it doesn't work. You yeah, have I mean, to have medical it's attention. One the, it's one of these things where people shouldn't talk about battling depression because I'd suggest that if you lose that battle that you're weak in some way, in the same way people talk about cancer mm-hmm. survivors, people who are fighting cancer, cancer inevitably kills people, so the fact that you died of cancer doesn't mean you could have if you'd fought harder in the battle. It's a bit of a... You know, it's, <laughs> just, just, it's just one of these things. Terrible thing happened to you when you lived. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, I, mean, still, I mean, I think that's a really good point, you know, moving us away from the idea of fighting or overcoming things, because w- especially when you're dealing with something like a really pervasive ailment like cancer or something like an emotional problem like depression, it's not about winning. You don't win it. You manage no, you don't. it. don't. You manage it, yeah. Don't take these drugs for a few days and see what happens. Ha, ha, ha. You know, exactly. It's, it's right. like that. And, and it's and not drugs- a question. And drugs, drugs aren't, you know, the extent of it too is just, I mean, that's a, that can be a very big part. It's a big part of my treatment, but it's just, it's knowing how to deal with your own brain an awful lot yeah. of the time. That is unfortunately something that many people, they are not provided with the right set of skills in order to manage that. And it definitely affects an awful lot of people that we come in contact with probably on a day-to-day basis and we'll never know it just because of how obsessed we are with keeping things inside. Do you guys think that um, people who are like writers and creatives are either more prone to mental illness or that just through virtue of... Yeah, because... it's one of these things where, like, a what they try to find out. It's one of the things that psychologists try to find out. Yeah, it's on the Atlantic. There's a few articles on it recently about how uh, creatives are more prone to depression. Or is it that people who are prone to depression are more driven to the creative Some, field? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's hard to tell. So they're still researching into it and like what makes us tick, basically. It's very interesting. And the pr- part of the problem, you know, we lose so many creatives at a, at such a young age that. You know, they say you know they we lose them to um, to their depression, to their illnesses, is because you know it goes untreated, it goes ununderstood. Like you know, when a person when when a person thinks of their drug, their medication that's working for them, they are led on to believe that it's a crutch and that they can go off it and suddenly become better and become stronger, will themselves into becoming okay. You know, 
a lot of the time that doesn't work, and then they start feeling bad about themselves for being weak. I mean, uh, w- without naming names, um, one of my friends has bipolar disorder and manic depression, so the depressive periods are obviously very bad, but they actually find the manic periods quite creatively stimulating. So one of the side effects of going on, say, lithium or one of those drugs is that it mellows out everything. So it means that, yeah. okay, the depression's not so bad, but also you actually lose your creativity. That's the kind of thing that makes people not want to stay on those drugs all the time. Right. No, I mean, heard that as well, and I remember when I was first trying out antidepressants as a teenager, I got an awful lot of flack from my father and my older brother, both of whom don't believe in taking medication, but the thing that, that really scared me off it is just like, you're going to lose your creative impulse, or you're not going to be able to write as well, you're not going to feel as deeply or any of that, and that kept that helped keep me off medication for years and years and years. And honestly, if it's between kind of dulling your perception of life and not being alive, take the dulled perception of things. Seriously. And the thing is, that's different for every person, right. and it's yep. different for every medication. Right. Absolutely. Like some of the early ones were just, you know what, will dampen the entire brain. Now the drugs are more pinpoint. They might interact with the parts that are creative by accident. Mm-hmm. But the medicine is getting better. It's getting more direct. Right. And the, you need to see a doctor so he can prescribe you the right ones. And here's the thing, too. It's just like, if you start on something and it doesn't work, you can try different things. It doesn't have to work right the first time. It's just, I mean, and like, not only that, it's just like, again, it's just like, it's not just the medication. It's also going into therapy and getting the help you need and understanding the process of your own mind and addressing yourself as a project that you can work on. Yeah, it's a problem that you can fix. And that's why I think Take This Project is pretty aptly named because, you know, you see their logo, and it's the hands that are extended with, like, the little shield in there with the with the uh, the plus sign, you know, the kind of, like, the they give you the boost. And it's just like, that is such a gamer analogy. Not about fixing something. It's dangerous to go alone. It's dangerous to go alone. Here is some That's help. tagline. Here's this weapon. Otherwise, you know, how the fuck are you going to no, fight? No, see, there's the thing. It's like, it's not a weapon. They don't give you a weapon. It's not a weapon, they give you a shield. It, it's a, a shield. shield, yeah, a shield. It's a shield to defend yourself. It's a... Uh, yeah, the world is harsh. You're going to take a beating. Have a shield. There's a little help. It helps. Plus two. It helps. So I think I like that. before we lose Alan here, we might want to segue into the trigger warning section. Just, just to say, I'm not dying. I just have to go to bed. It's, it's not possible. I, <laughs> I, I didn't mean it like that. This is before, okay, I before I'm lost.